and we're back for another episode of LifeWords Q&A with David Ray. Hi, I'm Andrew Morris. Uh, I trust you're doing well and you're ready to uh, get ready for another three interesting, life-changing questions about life and faith. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast through the iTunes store. Just search for LifeWords Q&A and we'll give you the email address shortly so you can email a question if you've got something burning on your lips. Our first question, David, uh, is the Bible seems to say that we need to exercise faith and confess that Jesus is Lord in order to be saved. Where does that leave the severely disabled who might not be able to do these things? Well, I think we've got to go back there to um, the character of God. Start with the character of God, that is his desire that people be saved. That's pretty clear. And that he's rich in mercy. And the Bible tells us that he blesses the helpless little children who, you know, would be scratching their heads if you talked about faith and repentance and confessing him as Lord. So given all that, given all that, it's pretty certain, I reckon, that he's not going to leave severely disabled people out of heaven because of things that were not their fault. It's true to say, yes, we need to exercise faith and confess that Jesus is Lord in order to be saved. But that, that's talking about the what we might call the norm. Yeah. Um, we've got to allow for exceptions here, not out of sheer sentimentality, but out of acknowledging the character of God. Why might people not be saved, might not um, be accepted by God? Well, well, because we willfully go against God as we grow up and we need to repent. The Bible says that. We, we automatically, as it were, go our own way. And we can't, you and I can't use the excuse of incapacity. God looks at us and says, well, listen here, you, you, you've sinned. That is, you've taken a, a morally responsible decision or irresponsible decision, actually, to go against me. And um, you need to turn away from that and accept my mercy and receive forgiveness. If we say to God, no, thanks, I'm not going to do that. Well, we're accountable. And we are sadly out of relationship with him. But hang on, the severely disabled won't have that capacity. Uh, to start, talk to a severely disabled person to say, listen here, now you sinned against God and you need to repent and confess that Jesus is Lord, uh, that, that might just simply not register at all. What I guess I'm saying is, can, uh, I suppose I'm putting my own question here, can a, such a severely disabled person be actually seen as a sinner against God? Because sin against God is to do with us as not living up to um, what we know to be right and wrong. In other words, it implies the power of a moral consciousness to actually rebel against him. And a severely disabled person might not have the capacity to understand rebellion, let alone understand the idea that they're rebelling against God. I would put it to you that a severely disabled person is accepted by God just as he accepts an infant, a very young mm. infant. We've discussed this in another Q&A, that I would believe that a very young infant is accepted by God because God doesn't, God doesn't reject you because one day you're going to grow up in 20 years' time and sin. God doesn't reject you because, well, you're part of the human race and therefore you must be infected with sin. God, God rejects you because you grow up to responsibly and freely, with all accountability, reject him. And so you've rejected God, so as it were, God, you are apart from God. But with a severely disabled person, I would seriously question whether they've got the capacity to actually say no to God. And looking at God's character, 
I'd say God therefore must be saying yes to them. I don't think he'd say, well, I'm sorry. It just so happens that you were born without a capacity to repent and therefore um, you will not enjoy eternal life. And as I say, I don't think that's mere sentimentality. I think it's recognising the merciful nature of God and also of the nature of sin. Sin is a free act that we do uh, to defy God. I'd put it to you that a young infant... Um, who will inevitably go up to defy God, we know that, but a young infant has not actually defied God, and a severely disabled person, could we not say the same about them? They haven't actually defied God, and therefore they're accepted by him. I think we've, we've done a good job over the ages to, to really characterise God as a rather mean man, or mm. a mean person, hey? Oh, that's right. There's someone, someone who sort of basically delights in, uh, in rejecting us. people. That's, that's right. right. But, but in fact, we've got to change the bias and the default. The default is that God wants all to be saved. Now, not all will be saved. We know that. We're not putting God up as a, some sort of softy here. But I believe that when we have doubts about the capacity of people to actually rebel against God and to make what we might call a decision for or against Jesus, then I think I would prefer to say God will be merciful. Yeah. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A, David Ray, Andrew Morris. Uh, the email to send us your question, or if you disagree, you can also, or agree, you can just correspond with us, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. Our second question, there seems to be lots of good causes asking for my support and prayer and money. How, how do I decide who to support? Well, Andrew, I think this is one of those cases where I'd say, Go a bit with your feelings. Some people are very suspicious of their feelings, but no, I reckon here, go with your feelings. There's lots of good causes, enormous amount of good causes. So many of us are getting so many requests for support and prayer and money, and we can't do everything. So, as this questioner is saying, how do I actually decide amongst the many good causes what good cause I'm going to support? And here, I would think it's it's to do very much with your feelings. Yep. For example, you might have a, a, a um, mentally ill grown-up child and therefore you are strongly strongly motivated to support work in relation to that you might have um, lived for a while in Africa and you might have a particular passion to support work in Africa you might have friends who live in outback Australia and you are particularly passionate about supporting people in uh, amidst rural poverty and so on now I believe, therefore, that we, 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 our passions, our feelings, our, our, our life experiences can direct us to support the things that, that, that resonate within our hearts. You see, there's no right or wrong. I mean, I mean who is saying that it's, it's, it's better to support World Vision or African Enterprise or, yeah. or, or whatever? No, no one's saying that. I think, however, it's good to have an emotional or personal connection to the good cause. I know as pastor of a church over many years, we've tried to form links with good causes and individuals with whom we have a personal link so that I'm not just writing out a check or the church just sending some money to an organisation. We've actually got some sort of emotional investment in that because I think that helps motivate you. Um, so if just explore your passions, your background, your experiences, what, where, where is God really pushing you to support? You see, I might support one particular cause and you might say, well, oh, I've got no particular interest in that at all. Well, that's all right. Uh, I think God does work through our feelings here. 
You can't do everything. And above all, don't spread yourself too thinly out of guilt. If 10 organisations are asking for your support, sadly, if you decide to spread yourself too thinly because of your, your wish not to say no to any of them, I don't think your giving is going to be as effective. I do believe it's it's important to focus more narrowly on a few good causes so that you can maintain your passion and emotional investment and your understanding of them. Because there's one other very important thing I'd say about this do checks on the efficiency and the integrity of whatever cause you support. It's important that whatever you're supporting is actually using your money well. Yep. And I guess um, also the, the, the bigger questions are just, yeah, also to be a good steward with your money as well in the sense that, you know, you could be overly generous and neglecting your own, yes. um, yeah, your own oh, financial indeed. security as well. Oh, indeed. I'm, I mean, you know, we all want to be very generous, but at the same time, I hope we want to be generous, but at the yep. same time, yes, we've got, to, we've, we've, we've got to look after a whole lot of other things. And yes, being good steward does mean that I'm giving to organisations or individuals that I believe believe are using the money well, but I think rather than imply value judgments or that the work of this particular organisation is more valuable to God than that organisation, I think that's forming a judgment that we're not permitted to take. I believe rather instead said, okay, there's a whole lot of organisations that might be doing wonderful, good and godly work. Where is my heart? And I think where my heart leads me there, that will enable me to be more generous because my heart is involved as well as my head. Yep. Our third question, David, I guess, you know, back 20, 30 years would have been one of those really, really hot potatoes. Uh, I don't know where, where we stand these days, but here's the question. Can a divorced person remarry? Yeah, well, yeah, it still is contentious. Divorce has become a bit more common, certainly in Christian circles too, but it's still a contentious issue and some Christians do give different answers to it. We can only skim the surface of this because there's a lot of scholarly debate about it. Now, there's a very strict view among some Christians. Marriage is for life. And only death breaks the bond. Uh, it's what we call a sacramental view of marriage. Uh, so uh, there can't be any remarriage because as long as your former partner is still alive, well, I'm sorry, you're still married to him, irrespective of what legal procedures you go through. So that's what we might call a fairly strict view that some Christians do hold. Another view is that the Bible might allow divorce and therefore perhaps remarriage, and the two are somewhat linked, the Bible might allow divorce and remarriage in certain situations, and usually it's stipulated there, oh, it's in adultery, because Jesus does mention that or seems to mention it at one point in the Gospels. But I guess we've got a bit of a problem there because um, there, you, 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 you're forced to then say, oh, well, therefore, uh, it's okay to divorce and remarry, uh, for example, in this case, if your husband has gone to bed with another woman, but it's not okay to divorce and remarry if he beats you up every night. Uh, because that doesn't seem to be covered by what Jesus mm. said. And so I think we've got to be careful in applying Jesus' words too literalistically there because I think it leaves us in awkward situations where you can say, well, I can't divorce my partner, but if my partner commits adultery, oh, at last I can divorce them. Uh, I think that's getting a little bit pharisaical um, in my opinion. Then the, 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 there's a third view, which is what we might call a little bit more liberal, in that it allows for remarriage, um, but wouldn't do so if it was a matter of divorcing your partner specifically in order to marry someone else. That's how some people understand Jesus' words. It is not right for you to divorce your partner in order to marry the person you're already, as it were, having an affair with, although yeah. he doesn't use those words, uh, because we'd say, hang on, that, 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 that is not right. I think when we look at the biblical material, it, it, it is in the context of certain historical debates about marriage 
And uh, with all the scholarly interaction with it, I can assure you it's not easy to understand. Some people would say, well, Jesus says things quite black and white. Uh, and one of the black and white things he says is, well, if you, uh, if you um, divorce your husband and marry someone else, you're an adulterer. Well, that's a bit of a problem, isn't it? Because if you're an adulterer uh, in that new relationship, you should get divorced because you're in an adulterous relationship. But therefore, we don't like divorce. And so when it goes on and on like this... It is a complex issue, and I'm not trying to oversimplify it here, but what I would say, both from my reflections as a pastor and also my reflections on Scripture, is this. I I think that remarriage is something that I personally would not oppose or, or, or condemn, but you've got to be careful with remarriage. You can be carrying your unresolved baggage into a new relationship, and I think that's the danger of remarriage. It's, I don't think it's necessarily prohibited on my understanding, but it's a danger. I would want to say if I was faced with the prospect of remarrying a divorced person, which I've done a number of times, I'd want to say, well, 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 well um, how has that other marriage situation been resolved? Because you don't want someone to have divorced someone and say, oh, they were, they were a hopeless case, I'm going to marry someone else. Oh, they're a hopeless case, I'm going to marry someone else. Because all you're doing is carrying your old wounds and your own baggage, your old baggage, with you. However, I've seen, I'm sure many of us have seen, uh, cases where there's been a divorce and a remarriage and there's been a wonderful fresh start. And I wouldn't want to say that God's condemning that and saying, oh gosh, you're an adulterer, you've divorced and remarried. There is a number number of Christians who have uh, had divorced, sadly, and it's always a sad situation, but they've remarried and there's a new lease of life. Uh, There's a new chapter of their life. And I I believe actually God actually blesses that. But I don't think, I I think the Bible would say, uh, certainly does say, divorce is is never a good thing. It's never a wonderful thing. But it may, sadly, due to the hardness of people, heart be the best of all options in a certain unsatisfactory situation and once there is divorce I believe the marriage doesn't actually somehow or other continue I believe the marriage is finished the vows are not kept and I do believe then that there is freedom to remarry but not absolute freedom uh, as Paul says, you you may marry in the Lord, as it were, in a godly way, having looked at your other relationship, learnt whatever lessons are to be learned from it, and then perhaps embark on that fresh start that God might give you. Thanks, David. And there's, I guess, there's a whole side of of shame and guilt that that people carry as well, and 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 learning how to deal and overcome that kind of stuff. So you're well, not feeling the shame. Or- yes, that's, that's right. And guilt can be a terrible. Some some people still feel. I, I I do recall a situation in a church I was at many years ago where a woman came to that church and was in tears at the end of the service, and I said, "Well, what's going on?" And 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 there were tears actually of happiness. She said, "Oh, I felt very accepted, and I felt uh, people were very friendly." And I said, "Well, why wouldn't they be?" She said, "Well." I've been divorced and I I had to say to her well I'm looking around at this church congregation here after the service and I can count a dozen people in that same category so I think there's some people who feel oh oh I've been divorced there's a terrible stigma attached uh no not necessarily (laughs) thanks David this has been LifeWords Q&A thanks for your company please join us next time as we tackle more questions concerning life and faith and, uh, yeah, you can send us your, your question in the meantime, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. Subscribe to the podcast in the iTunes store or download this and other episodes from hope1032.com.au.